Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And before we start today's episode, we'd like to say that there is a lot of grisly content in this particular podcast, and it's not appropriate for kids. No, this is a rated R podcast, and you should not be fooled by our fairy tale title. Which is, of course, Who Was the Real Bluebeard? And there are many versions of the Bluebeard story, but the one most of us know comes from Charles Perrault, who was the French author of many a fairy tale. Beauty and the Beast. Right. That type of thing. Things you know. Um, but the story of Bluebeard isn't a nice fairy tale. It's a grim one. In the story, a blue-bearded man has had many wives, but they all disappear, and no one knows what's become of them. But yet another woman is married to him against her will, and after their marriage, Bluebeard leaves her in charge of the house with an admonition to stay out of this one particular room. But she, of course, is human and can't resist. And when she opens the door, all she sees is blood and dead bodies on hooks, which are the wives before her. And in Perot's tale, of course, the wife is rescued at the last moment. But in the story we're going to tell, that is uh, possibly the inspiration for the tale. The rescues were not to be had. So before we get to all the goriness, let's talk a little bit about who we're dealing with. Gilles Doré was born in 1404 or thereabouts. There are some discrepancies um, as to the year. And he was the son of Guy de Laval and Marie de Croix. And his father died when he was young. He and his brother, René, were raised by their grandfather. And he was married young as well, at 16, to Catherine de Tours, who was also very rich. And I can't emphasize enough just how rich Doré was. He was probably the richest nobleman in Europe. But even then, there were some rumors about him that weren't so nice. Part of this legend was that he had been affianced a few times before Catherine, but they all died. Really, the reality is probably just that the betrothals were broken off. And he's impressive as a young man, too, though, in addition to being extremely wealthy. He distinguished himself fighting with Jeanne d'Arc in the Hundred Years' War, Joan of Arc, of course. And um, he was there for the Siege of Orleans and was recognized for being extremely brave. Right. He was made Marshal of France at age 25 by Charles VII because of everything he'd done in the war. But then there comes a switch in his life. Gilles, tired of military life, and his grandfather, who may have been a check on his actions, died when he was in his young 30s. So he began spending. So remember how gigantic this fortune is. He spends pretty much all of it. Uh, Much of it was on theatrical productions. He loved putting on these very lavish plays for free. He hired hundreds of extras and would have hundreds of costumes constructed and then just thrown away, and he would begin again. Yeah, and he spends a lot of his money on bodyguards and courtiers and entertaining as well, things that might be more expected than his own personal theatrical productions. And he also built a very fancy chapel, the Chapel of the Holy Innocents. And in case you don't remember, um, biblically, the Holy Innocents are all the innocent little boys that Herod had killed to, you know, avoid Jesus coming along and usurping his power. This will come into play a little later. Remember the Holy Innocents. 
he eventually spent so much money on all these plays and these building projects that his family goes to the king seeking an intervention. And the king agrees to make life very difficult for him in Orléans. So he left and he went to Brittany. And around the same time, being so wealthy, but also falling into this pit of money despair, he fell prey to many con men. And when he started to go broke, he turned to a rather bizarre way of making money, at least to my mind, alchemy. So he started spending Very a lot of money. Way. Seriously. <laughs> he will literally turn other things into gold. He started dealing with occultists and necromancers and, you know, thought maybe he could sell his soul to Satan for wealth, depending on, you know, how that went. So more money, more problems, Sarah and I said earlier. Yeah. But it turns out that this is not all he was doing at the time. And he had many other unsavory activities going on. And um, his first murder was right after his grandfather died. And again, this is a little hard to listen to. Probably it was hard for us to research, but... His victims were usually young boys. They were tortured, raped, and killed. He'd often hang them from hooks, according to testimony, um, but take them down to comfort them when they cried, saying that he was only playing with them before he'd put them back and start the torturing again. Sometimes he would rape them as they were dying. Um, He also liked to cut them open and look at their insides and laughed while they died. So this is pretty much the most demonic portrait of a man, you can imagine. He'd also go to sleep afterwards. Yeah, when it was all done, he'd have somebody else clean it up. So some of the boys were kidnapped. Uh, Some were tricked into coming, you know, by saying maybe they'd get an apprenticeship at the castle. Some showed up unawares of what was going on and were tricked into it. And no one knows exactly how many children he killed. There's a huge discrepancy as far as numbers. Estimates range from the dozens to more than 6,000 so you don't even know where he stands in that series of you know prolific yeah. serial killers that you think of. But of course he wasn't alone. You can't you can't do killings like this, and especially if it was more on the scale of six thousand without accomplices. And one of them was Gilles de Cille, who um, brought boys to one of the castles and helped clean up after after the murders had taken place and helped lie for him. You know, obviously you're going to have all these concerned parents who are wondering where their children have gone. And he would tell them that their sons had been sent to the king to train as pages, you know, had all these great opportunities, and that's why they disappeared so suddenly. Another one of his accomplices was Etienne Corriot, who was known as Poitou. And with his testimony later, we learned a little bit more about what happened in that castle. Yeah, some of the most damning testimony against him came from this guy. And he talked about killing the boys because sometimes Gilles Doré didn't like to do it on his own. He'd rather have someone else do it, and he liked to play with the dead bodies. So his accomplices would kill them by decapitation or dismemberment or cutting their throats, breaking their neck. And he also said they usually were only allowed to stay alive for one night. And another accomplice was Purine Martin, who was also known as Le Mafray, or the Terror. And she sounds straight out of a fairy tale, some very scary, evil character. And she was the procurer of many of the children. She would wander around in a long cloak looking for them. She at least gives me the shivers. Yeah, and that's according to some accounts. Some of this is based on little historical evidence, and a lot of it is based on tales of the time, but that, of course, is part of the allure of his story. 
But you must be wondering, like Sarah and I did, how on earth, if you've done all of these terrible things, especially if the body count is up to about 6,000, he wasn't found out. And it turns out that he sort of was. People knew what was going on, especially the peasants around there. Their kids were disappearing. And his castle at Mashkul got the reputation of being this evil place where people ate children. Like the surrounding villages, that's what they said. If someone else came from Mashkul, oh, well, that's the place where they That was the reputation that preceded them, yeah. And some of his family and friends must have known what was going on, too. Some people have argued, at least. At one point, he sends some of his minions to clean up his castles when he knows that family was coming over. Um, But they couldn't get rid of all the skeletons and body parts that littered the castle. And the towers of the castles were filled with blood and bodies that were later burned and tossed into the moat. And um, just a mess. straight out of the Bluebeard fairy tale. Yeah. He was almost caught several times, according to some accounts. He was reckless about what he was doing. He wasn't even trying very hard to hide it because he was very, very rich and very powerful and Probably people felt were afraid of him. Fairly invincible. Oh, I'm sure. So he wasn't arrested until he abducted a priest from a church, which is so ridiculous. You know, people thought he was killing and raping children. But, you know, once you took that priest out of that church, (laughs) the line had been crossed. So the bishop started an investigation, found out all of these rumors, and then passed it on to more secular sources of power who did their own investigation. So he's ultimately charged with murder, sodomy, and heresy. And, of course, kidnapping the priest from a church. His trial was in 1440, and at first he wouldn't make a plea and he denied the charges and even said this court didn't have jurisdiction over him. But then, here's a twist, the church excommunicated him, and he was terrified that he would go to hell. So he admitted to some of his crimes and begged to be readmitted to the church. And that's the crazy thing about Gilles de Ray, all the things I was reading. He was tormented by the idea of what would happen to his eternal soul. And he was very religious. He built that chapel of the Holy Innocents, hoping it would expiate some of his sins. Well, and, and someone who fights alongside Joan of Arc, too. Imagine... You would the, have seen miracles yeah, in her son. the fervor of your religion if you are fighting with her. So you have to somehow reconcile this idea of him as a giggling child rapist who killed and killed again with the idea of someone who wasn't even a sociopath, someone who had remorse for everything he'd done and yet wouldn't stop. And that's the scary part, because you can't say that he was just mentally ill. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. He was sorry for what he was doing, and he kept but doing it. he couldn't it. stop doing it. Um, he's also accused of summoning demons and dabbling in the occult, and uh, all of this with a guy named Francesco Prelati, and using uh, children's innards as sacrifices to the call up the devil. But um, going back to that religious fervor, these are charges that he would not admit to initially. None of the satanic stuff, none of the summoning up of the demons. Those were things he would not say that he did until he was threatened with torture. And then he admitted everything. For someone who has tortured knows full well. Just what that's like. So all of the gory, gory details came out during the trial. For example, some of his associates said he bathed in blood, which reminded us of Elizabeth Bathory, which I think Candace and Josh did a podcast about a while back. Yeah, and there's an article on it. 
So at the end of all this, and after his confessions, he's sentenced to be hanged and burned, which, interestingly, kind of a luckier fate than Joan of Arc. A lot luckier. Um, But his body is taken out of the flames and buried. And before he died, he sermonized to the crowd and proclaimed himself a devout and good man. So he was brought back into the church's fold at the very end because of this um, confession and repenting. But that was the end of Bluebeard. And again, the question, how can a man be a hero of war with St. Joan, no less, and also a ruthless child murderer? Some historians have argued that Gilles de Ray didn't do it, that he was framed for what had happened, that it was someone else committing the murders. And because there were other people who had an interest in him being gone for financial reasons, he was set up. And others also say that the trial was a farce And, I mean, how much can you trust a confession made under threat of torture? It was a coerced confession. So is that even something that you can say is real and honest? Well, and and presumably his collaborators are under similar pressure. Oh, yes. Two of them were killed as well. And they did not get to be taken out of the flames. They were burned to ash. But to sort of bring this story full circle, we're going to end it how we began with the story of Bluebeard. And... This contradiction we were talking about earlier, somebody who is clearly not just a sociopath who has no sense of right and wrong. I mean, he's somebody who repents what he's doing. He just can't stop doing it. Or won't. Or won't stop. (laughs) Is, is hard for people to, to make sense of and to handle. And so consequently, uh, since then, there have been all these myths that have sprung up around him and, comparisons to demonic creatures. Right, like vampires or werewolves, because I guess it's easier to believe that someone was driven by something evil, something other than their own wills and desires to commit such terrible crimes. Well, yes, yeah, because a vampire has a motive, a werewolf has a motive. You know, when it's something we they can can't explain it. Yeah. And these ideas that of the vampire, the werewolf, or Bluebeard were all made after the fact, you know, after his life. Trying to explain it. Right. There are people who say that he was just trying to emulate another monster of history, Caligula, who keeps popping up lately. So we think we're going to have to do a podcast on him. Maybe after we rest a little bit here. Yeah, we might need a little break from the gore here. took its toll. (laughs) But to end on a lighter note, if you're interested in supernatural creatures like vampires and werewolves, we have some pretty fantastic articles on them on our webpage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 